Okay, we're two thumbs up. That means we're on. Okay, um, I discovered something in the last couple of weeks. I have been preaching so long and teaching so long that I can't do a simple sermon. Everything I start to put together turns into a series. So I was struggling with answering Soren's question about why do we call ourselves a Judeo-Christian community of faith and trying to talk to our fellow Messianics who would be with us. And I ended up creating a thing that would have us here until sundown. So I'm going to just try to abbreviate it, hoping not to leave some holes in there, but uh, I tend to want to unpack things. Uh, The Disciple Center is an unusual congregation. We're unusual in several ways. One, we're private. We don't have public services. Everybody here is either a member or a guest, right? You know each other. You're in each other's lives. We're a relational community. We are uh, what we call Judeo-Christian. Now, that term Judeo-Christian has a lot of meanings. Many of them are political, and I don't agree with those. They talk about Judeo-Christian values. I get that idea. That's not what we're using it for. We're using it because our faith that we believe and practice is a Christian faith. It is in Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua, whatever term you're using, following him as Messiah or Christ. But it is not a replacement detached faith from Israel because the God that we believe in is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not just any unknown God. The Lord that we follow, the Lord Jesus, is the son of that God. He's the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to be connected. And so the Judeo part of that term modifies the type of Christianity that we um, are part of. Now when we formed ourselves about 22 years ago, I just love seeing the children that were dedicated now, baptized, and I'm waiting for that third generation. We're going to see that. When we formed ourselves, one of the problems that we had was, what do we call ourselves? We're connected to Israel. We're connected to the Messianic movement. We're connected to the Southern Baptist Convention. So somebody suggested that we use the term Messianic Baptist. Now that would be fun, except that confuses all kinds of people. Because when you say Baptist, people think of a denomination. You can tell from our liturgy that we're not a typical Baptist approach to worship. As we enter with the call to worship, as we approach God in presenting ourselves and our vows to God, remaining in prayer to unburden our hearts, sharing testimony so we know, and then hearing from the Word of God. That's a different kind of liturgy. And we draw on liturgies in Judaism from the conservative and the orthodox and the reform, and we draw from Christianity from the Eastern Catholic and Reformed churches and the free churches, or radical Protestants, that Baptists have been called. So, we don't use the word Baptist in in our framework, though we 
acknowledge fully that we're a cooperating church with the Southern Baptist Convention. But the word messianic isn't easy either. There's a great saying, who put the mess in messianic? And what that means is, when you say you're messianic, it's almost like saying you're Christian, nobody knows what it means. Or if you say you're non-denominational, non-denominational doesn't mean anything. We're eclectic, but we're very careful with the way we're eclectic. We try to treat these things with honor. So we don't mess with the mourner's cottage. We don't mess with the Shema. What we do is we make use of them as they make sense, both in the full Bible, uh, as it's quoted in the Torah, and as it's quoted in the Gospels. So, using the term messianic could be problematic. We're not non-denominational. We're not undenominational. We're really multi-denominational. And our eclecticism is serious, and it is thought through, and it's done with respect. Well, this messianic thing becomes problematic for, for, for me for two reasons. One is there are, within the messianic movement, a continuum going from what I would call the old Hebrew Christian side. The Hebrew Christian side were Jewish people who were Christian. Their religion was Christianity, but they had been denied expressing that in their Jewish culture because of replacement theology. God's done with the Jews. Now we're in the new Israel. We can't go there. So what we have to think about is on one end we've got Jews who are for all intents and purposes Christians in what they believe and how they act. And then we have Jews in Messianic Judaism who believe that their religion is Judaism, their faith is in Yeshua. And they're much more observant. And those groups tend to shoot at each other. Then You've got the noise in the system. Or should I say the goys in the system? The Gentiles that are on one end, they like that Messianic Judaism because they want to be Jews. Somehow they think they're closer to God if they're Jewish. So they will search records and DNA 23 and me as far as they can to find one little piece that they can say, I'm Jewish. Right? They think there's an advantage there. Paul talks about the Jewish advantage, but it's not genetics. It's the covenants. It's the history. It's the the teaching. It's the growing up in that context. Right? Then you've got the Gentiles who just like Jewish stuff and hate the church. I don't want to be associated with that, so I don't use the term Messianic Gentile. I do tell Messianic Jews that I'm their best boyfriend. (laughs) But the reality is this. We have to find a way to break away from these divisions. So I want to talk a little bit today about unity. And I want to talk from the book of Ephesians 
And that was where I had the problem. I can't preach the entire book of Ephesians in one message. Even though I know my people would stay here, the rest of you all might walk out on me. Right? So, So I want to start with Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 6. This struck me when I first began to realize that Judeo-Christianity and Messianic Judaism is the intersection between Israel and the churches. And that I needed a congregation that was on one of those intersection corners and knew the other corners and could be relationally connected. Not organizationally connected, but relationally connected. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Paul says, Therefore... I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, why did Paul say that? He tells us, there is one body. And one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's talking about the baptism of the spirit that places us into Christ. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Then he talks about the body and how the body is supposed to interact together. In other words, we are supposed to see the spiritual unity of all believers, and particularly the connection between Israel and the nations. After all, the promise to Abraham was, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not each in their own little spot, but as a unit. There's something about oneness, unity, that God uses, right? Marriage, The two become one. Which one? Nobody knows. The reality is it becomes a combination of both of them. And the church, the body of Messiah, is a unity of the Jews and the nations. It's not a unity of this denomination and its own little folks. So, I want to give you that context. I'll do it really quick. I'll try to do it really quick. In Ephesians 1... Well, let me say it this way. The context of this is that we have been divided. Judaism's been divided by language and culture between the Ashkenazi and the Sephardic, and then later by the modern denominations of Reform, Orthodox, Hasidim, Conservative, right? Christianity split between the Greek churches and the Latin churches, then the Latin churches split into all the Reformed churches that they're still fracturing today. And everybody believes we're right, everybody else is wrong. We're the true body, and you're not. But Yeshua said, here's how they'll know if you're truly in the body. You have love one for another, and you patiently tolerate one another. That's, all, that's not easy. Some of you are hard to tolerate. <laughs> I'm easy. I know I'm easy. Okay, so there's a problem of pronouns here in the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to try to address the pronouns for you. 
In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this, To the saints at Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of his glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption in his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And he lavished on us in all wisdom and made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Messiah, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. Now, if you just read those 11 verses, and you don't read the next one, you don't get the pronouns. This is always preached in the churches and all the Baptists go, Amen, Amen. Right? And the Pentecostals are a little louder. But, it's, but what's going on is we are misappropriating something that isn't said of us. Look at verse 12. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Paul's talking about himself and the Jewish believers. We have the foundation. There is a Jewish advantage in that context that he talks about in Romans. Now he's going to talk to the Ephesians. Verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, that's all of us, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I heard of the, your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. So, Paul, in the first chapter, is predominantly talking about the Jews, who the, the church, the body, whatever you want to call it, has at its foundation Israel. Now, chapter 2. I can't read that whole chapter because this would be too long. So I'm going to pick it up at verse 11. But chapter 2, all the us's and the we's are focused more with you and us. When he says you and us, he's talking about you Gentiles and us, you and us together. Okay? So verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a very bad situation. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about Babel. At Babel, all the people got together and said, we are the world, we're going nowhere. And God said, no, you're not. He scattered them around. That gave us so-called races and ethnicities. Everybody trying to work things out and get to God their own way, thinking differently and hating the other one that was different. To that group, 
God called Abraham and created the only culture, the only culture that he directly created. All of us made our own. Israel was made by God. He gave him a Torah. He said, you will be my people. This will be how the people will be. And you will be a light to the other nations. Israel is part of special revelation. And if we cut ourselves off from that special revelation, we get in trouble. Now, we have the Bible. And that that Bible is the special revelation. The Lord Jesus is special revelation. But God said... That Israel is a light to the nations. The Bible is a light. That concept of light is revelation. So, he says that we were without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, verse 13, you who were formerly afar off have been made near by the blood of Christ. People love that verse. Next verse kind of gets lost. For he himself is our peace who has made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity. There was an enmity that developed between the nations and Israel. And it was just like this. Israel comes out and he says, all your gods are drivel. There's only one God, and he happened to introduce himself to us. That will not make you popular. And the world said, we hate you. Right? And the nation said, we already hate each other, we're going to hate you more. And so we've got that enmity that was there. And what Jesus did when he died on the cross was not just get our sins forgiven. He took away that Enmity between us so that we can be at peace. And so we can love one another. You can be at peace with somebody who's far, far away. It's harder to be at peace with someone who's near. But he put both groups into one body. And we need each other. Israel needs the nations because Paul wants us to provoke them to jealousy. And we've had that experience in the Disciple Center that Jewish people who have moved away from Judaism, moved away from their faith, come to one of our uh, uh, services or what's going on, and they see things that remind them of what is rightfully theirs. And they see it handled carefully and not turned into something else, right? Rabbi Shiffman, I, I love Rabbi Shiffman, you guys know him. He talked about a, a Gentile who came to a conference one time and he had a talit on. And he had it swung over his shoulder like Snoopy in the Red Baron, you know. <laughs> when you take somebody's item and you use it inappropriately, you're not at peace. So we must handle Jewish things. We're, we're respectful of the Torah scroll. We're respectful of the liturgy that we, that we use and adapt. Not to make it a foreign thing. One of the reasons that we don't make much headway with Jewish evangelism is we say, Jesus got rid of the law, got rid of Israel, 
Got everything, as Stuart Dowerman used to say, still says. All your family's in hell, but you get to be a Baptist. That's not good news to the Jews. The good news of Isaiah is that their God rules, announcing peace. So that's something that we're supposed to be doing. Now, here's the good news. He didn't leave us in that condition. In chapter 3, in the first six verses, Paul says, For this reason, I, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, always love it. Somehow, Peter gets called the first pope, but he was the apostle to the circumcision. Paul was the apostle to the uncircumcision. We kind of mess this stuff up. Okay? Uh, It's hard to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the midst of chaos. So we have to do it relationally. We have to do it carefully. That's why we have to tolerate one another. He says, By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight in the mystery of Messiah, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, this is really good stuff. But it means that God didn't call me to be a Jew. He's saving Jews. He's got to save some of us Americans and some Germans and some Japanese because all of us have to stand before the throne, every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. We don't have to change to be anything. We were afar off. Israel was hanging around with God. and We were down here. Bad for an asthmatic. So, without hope and without God, And then that. From the foot of the cross, we've been made near. You who were far off, he has made you near. What does that do? That puts me up here with Israel. Not instead of Israel. With Israel. So, Paul says, in... uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that's us, and peace to those who were near. And through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and of God's household, being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now all of this comes... Seriously, in a sense that we at the Disciple Center get, but it's hard sometimes to explain that to your family and to your friends and to your co-workers, right? Because they think you're in a cult. Which is why we didn't call it St. Bruce's. That would not have been good. So then Paul in chapter 4 says, I want you to endeavor, struggle for the unity of the Spirit. So I kept saying, Lord, how do we do that? I tried to join organizations that were for Jews and Christians. That didn't work. I tried to say good things about the other groups, learn about them. That, doesn't, that just makes you an academic, right? 
I already had that problem. So, it dawned on me that what I needed to do was I needed relationships. One of the reasons I have good relationships with a lot of African Americans is because a family took me in when my dad died, right? It's relationships that connect you together. It's relationships that make you tolerate one another. And so he says in chapter 5, now I want you to imitate God. God does good and boy is he tolerant. And then in chapter, the end of chapter 5 and chapter 6, he talks about marriage and family. Because that's where it starts. I've talked about this before, but I want to remind you. The original purpose of God's people increasing is marriage, not evangelism. Israel was told, you will diligently teach these things to your children. You will teach them. You will not go to the right or the left. You will, you will teach them. The idea is that God was after godly offspring from the third generation. And that's what was supposed to happen. Then the replacement theology said, well, that's the Old Testament. The New Testament says, go and preach the gospel. So we started doing it. Now, there's nothing wrong with preaching the gospel. Baptists, I mean, we you scratch us and we bleed evangelism and missions. Even if we don't know what they are, we bleed that, right? That's what we're going to do. We'll give to it. I'm not doing it, but I'll give you, right? So, what's the deal? Here's the deal. The idea was, if we were doing in the family what we're supposed to do, and then we reach a new person, they then do it in their family, and there will be offspring coming there. We're not having kids. We're not raising our kids. And our, the evangelism we have means we have to reach a generation, every generation. We're just not doing this right. Paul ties this together in that framework. Then he says, you're going to have trouble. This world's going to give you a fit. Now in America, well, I just finished that series on, on the gathering storm. The, the, uh, the America's always been pretty, pretty Christian and Jewish friendly. We're getting rumblings that that may not always be the case. The secularism, the individualism is no longer appreciating the family, communal, congregational framework that is the heart of Judaism and Christianity. So Paul says, so if you're going to do this, you've got to put on the armor of God. We did this a few weeks ago, I'm not going to do it again. But you put that armor on, and he doesn't say charge. This is not onward Christian soldiers. You put the armor on to stand. To hold your ground. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my congregation, we will serve the Lord. Whatever the world says about that, whatever the flesh says, and we battle ourselves more because it's more proximate to us. And of course, Satan is behind all of that. So in this book of Ephesians, Paul is saying... Jesus is bringing Jews and Gentiles together. Not so that we'll all be the same. Little plastic Jesus, another little plastic Jesus, another little plastic Jesus in different colors. But so that we will transform ourselves and the way we live, illuminated by what God has done in his relationship with Israel for centuries, and, and then adapting that into our own cultural context to the extent that we can obey God in our cultural content. When our culture is going beyond that, then we're not conformed to that world. 
We stay transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, how do we do this? Two things. You got to know the word. You got to know the word. You got to be in it. You got to be in it. But more than that, it's got to be in you. And you've got to be a doer of the word before you're going to understand it. Okay, you, can ride a bu- you can read about bicycles, watch people ride bicycles. You won't know anything about balance until you get on there and ride. Okay? You're not going to know anything about loving God if you don't do it. You're not going to know anything about loving your neighbor if you don't do it. And you're not going to know anything about loving one another if you don't do it. So we have to be doers of the world. These have almost been useless. <laughs> so, this brings me to my final thing, and that's this. We practice the presence of God, and we should. But we must practice the presence of the body. You practice the presence of the body by having people you know. People who are friends. You find them in your work. You find them in your family. You find them in your neighborhood. Who come from the various traditions in Judaism. Who come from the various traditions in Christianity. And you're not looking for what they do wrong. If you focus on what people do wrong, you'll find it. And you'll stay out of relationship with them. You look for what they're doing right. And when they're doing something right, you walk alongside them. Let them get to know you and you get to know them. And over time, you begin to tolerate the differences, and then you begin to trust the other person. And then the Spirit of God molds us together into that body which every part then is supplying. Jesus said when the persecution comes, brother will betray brother to death. That's because you have one slight different doctrine than I do, You you use leavened bread instead of unleavened bread, so you're not a real believer. When both those traditions are in the Word. You guys know that because we've done it. My fear in the Messianic world, and Rick and I were talking about this earlier, is the Messianic world is so interested in teaching the Jewish things, and I think that's good. That's what we do here, right? They don't teach the church's stuff. And they don't show how Pentecost and Shavuot go together. They don't show the hinge point of Havdalah, which ties the Lord's Day and the Shabbat. They don't don't tie those things together because they don't know them. Because I'm non-denominational. I don't have to know anything and I don't have to do anything. I just got the love of Jesus in my heart. That's no good. What we have to do is be serious believers who are tied to the word. Bonded by the Spirit of God and focused on loving one another so that we show the sign of being a disciple. That has to be done not organizationally. has to be done in relationship. You've got to get to know people. You've got to get to interact with people. You've got to look for that. You will need to see the other Christians who walk a little different than us, talk a little different than us, and Jews who aren't sure that we're not trying to get them so they won't be Jewish anymore. We have to find a way to be their friend, let them be assured that we love them, and then Yeshua will talk through us. 
He'll talk through us. They'll see the family resemblance. Jesus said, My words are not my words. They're the words my father gave me. He was showing the father. If we have the words of Jesus in us, we'll show them Jesus. And it will not condemn them. It will draw them. Let's pray.